at this hour, there are 41 Republicans either planning to vote no on the American Health Care Act, leaning no on that bill, or say they have serious concerns about the measure. That is 20 more than leadership can afford to lose if they want it to pass tomorrow. And defectors from the conservative House Freedom Caucus apparently were not moved by a last-minute appeal by the Vice President Mike Pence at the White House today. They say instead they want a do-over. Hello and welcome to Politics, the Sliding Doors edition. I am Jeb Lund, a chronically underemployed political writer and podcast host, and I am on a different continent from Tim, so unfortunately sometimes our schedules do not meet up uh, on account of the time change, and we have to do these uh, sort of experimental um, uh, you know, broadcasting things uh, you know, to make up for it. On the other hand, there could be a different explanation which is that Tim is trying to separate me from you. Tim recognizes that he can no longer seize control of this with of this podcast phenomenon that has just really caught on with hundreds and hundreds of people uh, without alienating me from the audience. Uh, so Tim is working against me here, but more importantly, he's working against you. I don't want you to take the bait. I don't want you to fall prey to Tim's misdirection here. You know, he's playing three-dimensional chess. Like he said something just really off color on Twitter the other day. You know why? Because he wanted people to dogpile him. So they didn't notice that he was moving these pawns in place to keep me separated from the dedicated politics fandom. So I just want you to be mindful of that when you're going to start to hear some things about me from some bot accounts, probably. We don't know where they're going to come from. But we're going to know when we hear things that are critical of me that that is just wrong. Thank you for bearing with me. Anyhow, I think we can probably segue naturally into talking about what's going on in healthcare, um, especially because th- there could be additional cuts to mental health funding, uh, which is sort of funny if you remember the fact that one of the sort of staple arguments that the Republican Party marshals against any form of gun control is that you know, these mass shootings are terrible and we really hate seeing them, but we could solve all of them with better uh, mental health care. Um, I didn't come up with this list, but just for people who don't have any idea of the scope of what's going into this health care bill, I wanted to uh, crib one of these things I got from um, uh, the Internet and it's cited. uh, uh Vox, the Congressional Budget Office, Brookings Institution. So uh, anyhow, uh, the AHCA or the ACHA, if you want, um, is projected to, uh, here here are the relevant details, 24 million Americans will lose coverage in the next decade, 14 million in the next year. In three years, a reduction in the life of Medicare uh, uh, down to the year 2025. Sorry, that is a three-year reduction. Uh, $860 billion in tax cuts to insurers, uh, pharmaceutical corporations, medical device um, tax, tanning salon tax, uh, and of course, to high earners, 25% or $880 billion uh, amount permanently cut from the Medicaid program, uh, ta- capped to pay for tax cuts, Medicaid uh, covers kids with low income and, and people with disabilities. Uh, it was also Medicaid expansion up to, I think it was 120% of the poverty line was what helped get a lot more people without insurance into Obamacare. Um, the rest of, I mean, these are all just sort of like 
gaudy numbers. Uh, $13,000, the premium increase a 64-year-old could expect to pay uh, if his average income is $25,000. Uh, 15 to 20% estimated increase above expected increases in premiums in 2018 alone. Um, 36% average decrease in tax credit subsidies, 100% reduction in support for copays and deductibles, uh, $10,000 uh, in regional differences in how much you, you could, you could pay depending on where you are in the United States. Um, I mean, there's just a lot of it and it's all awful. Um, and then this sort of like this very helpful infographic ends with a list of, of all the different groups that oppose it. Uh, uh, pediatricians, internists, nurses, hospitals, nursing homes, retirees, medical students, safety net hospitals, physical family physicians, OBs, patient, patients, groups, American cancer society, American diabetes association, American heart association, American lung association, cystic fibrosis foundation, the March of dimes, muscular dystrophy association, national multiple sclerosis society, National Organization for Rare Disorders, uh, Women Heart, Consumers Union, National Health Council, Episcopal Church, and, uh, you know, more. Uh, so the, the question that is probably on your mind, since you're probably going to listen to this tomorrow, is is the uh, the bill going to pass tonight? The House is scheduled to have a vote Thursday night. Uh, hopefully the, the vote will stretch into the wee hours. So whatever truly atrocious thing they do uh, is not seen by the majority of Americans. And that's going to be kind of important because... There are already so many defectors uh, willingly acknowledging that they are defecting on this bill. So uh, today, Trump went and and made a hard sale to uh, to members of the House and Senate, and they came out and delivered. Uh, they sang hosannas to him, but behind the scenes and off the record, allegedly ten more people defected from the bill, bringing it to about twenty people in the House. Uh, in the Senate, there's about a dozen. Uh, dozen senators who who are, have been flirting with uh, abandoning the bill, and if they lose two, then they would need to break the tie with Mike Pence. So, three senators is is not good. Um, so, one of the things they they've been doing is basically just sort of assembling things that might sound likable on the fly. Uh, there was a, uh, I think, seventy four billion dollar sort of like supplementary fund that was going to help round out some of the problems in this bill that nobody bothered to explain. Uh, uh, the funding source of, which seems sort of uncharacteristic for uh, deficit-conscious re- Republicans. And then the other problem is that right now Mike Pence and the Trump administration seem to be talking to the House Freedom Caucus. And these guys are the ones who, oddly enough, or maybe not, I mean, if you've been following this long enough, this seems really predictable. Um but it may seem odd to you if you're a casual listener, but now they are painting themselves as the only true conservatives and that the bulk of the house that is already setting up to vote for this bill are betraying conservative values. And their problem there is that uh, the bill isn't harsh enough. So what is very likely to happen is that there's going to be a new version of this somehow show up tomorrow. It may show up very, very late, it may literally be an 11th hour bill, and it may be one of these things where everyone is told to vote for it right now. Don't even look at it. Uh, and some of the rumors leaked out from that is that uh, what you could see is essentially funding this via a la carte uh, insurance where you go through and say, well, I'm not going to pay for maternity and I'm not going to I don't need to have this kind of outpatient treatment or I don't need this or that, which is, of course, going to lead to many nightmare scenarios for people who mistakenly believed the way in which they would remain healthy and the way in which they would become unhealthy later. Uh, but 
you could see these just sort of like line item slashes of funding throughout whatever this omnibus sack of crap is. So if you are in, inclined uh, to to be offended and also informed, I, I think that you know, tomorrow night and C-SPAN and a, you know a decently curated Twitter feed might be a pretty fascinating example uh, of of hypocrisy in action, as well as uh, you know if you listen to these guys talk, a lot of them don't seem to know the first thing about healthcare. So you're going to get some people who are trying to make some bargains at the last minute with mechanisms they don't understand. And that haven't been scored and, you know, whose effects we're not going to know. And I mean, again, you're going to go broke trying to change the Republican Party by pointing out hypocrisy. But in this case, you've got the party of, you know, responsible dad who knows when to say no and who knows how to do practical things and preserve the family finances going in and making a decision about what the Republican Party has banged on about for the last couple of weeks. This is the, you know, the one sixth of the American economy. They're going to go in and fix that last minute by just basically duct taping shit to an already devastating pile of shit that is going to kick 24 million Americans off health coverage uh, in the next 10 years. And all for essentially an $860 billion tax cut to uh, insurers, pharmaceutical companies, and rich dudes. So tune in. Uh, The chairman will need to decide whether he is the chairman of an independent investigation into conduct, which includes allegations of potential coordination between the Trump campaign and the Russians, or he is going to act as a surrogate of the White House because he cannot do both. Hello, everybody. It's Tim here in New Zealand. Don't believe Jeb's nefarious conspiracy theories. I'm not starting some secret campaign to um, get you guys to hate him. It's just... We're, uh, we're busy boys, and we're at different time timelines, time zones, so uh, sometimes it's hard. But there was just, there's so much happening at the moment that um, I knew that we could not uh, skip one of these. So, look, let's, let's dive into some more shit that is happening at the moment, shall we, ladies and gents? Um, I want to talk about what the fuck is going on with the intelligence community at the moment. Um, I've, got, I've got some notes here, so let me re- refer to... Just try and get us up to speed with where we are. Okay, okay. Now, uh, and th- since we last talked to you about a week ago, James Comey, uh, director of the FBI, he said that there's no evidence of an Obama-directed wiretap against Trump. And said so that represented both the view of the FBI and the Department of Justice, which is nice to know that when Trump just pulls claims out of his asshole and presents them to the public... The intelligence agencies in America do have enough autonomy to sift through them and publicly rebuke them as bullshit. Now, that feels like a lifetime ago. That was just since we've last released an episode, which was like a week ago. I want to clear something up, though, and this is important, I think, um, because there's a few people out there who are purposefully obfuscating what is being investigated at the moment. And what is being investigated is whether Russia meddled in the election process and what that is is things like disinformation that's uh, bots online, Twitter bots, um, Reddit astroturfing, online activity, that kind of stuff that you've been hearing about. Things like collusion, um, for example, between Paul Manafort, uh, who was the one-time Trump campaign manager, uh, between himself and Russian officials closely linked to the Kremlin. Those are the kind of things that are being investigated. What is not being investigated and what nobody has ever seriously suspected is direct voter fraud from Russia. So 
Devin Nunez, who's a guy who we'll talk a bit more about, he tried to insinuate with um, Admiral MS Rogers, who was up on the stand uh, for everyone to question during the course of these hearings um, alongside James Comey. Rogers is the director of the NSA and the commander of US Cyber Command. And Nunez, this Republican, he went through state by state asking if Admiral Rogers thought that Russia had tampered with their vote tallies at all. They hadn't. The Admiral told him as such, no one fucking thinks that. It was a stupid and blatant attempt at misdirection on what is actually being investigated here. Now, a few days ago, Nunez, um, he's he's been holding all these press conferences over the last couple of days, and he's been making these vague statements, and one of them was... Uh, quote, on numerous occasions, the intelligence community incidentally collected information about U.S. citizens involved in the Trump transition. He's been coming out saying that um, the intelligence community did incidentally, through the course of its legal activities, uh, grab communications that were happening between the Trump transition team and the, uh, the Trump campaign. Now, he's also claimed that this new information has come to light to back up the wire claim, t- uh, the wire tap claims, but the whole thing kind of stinks because Nunez, who is the chair of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, he's just been making all of these statements about intelligence, which pertains to his committee. He's been making them publicly, and then he goes off and briefs President Trump before he shared it, which is what he's supposed to do with the Democrats who are serving in the Intelligence Committee with him. So what Nunez has done is he's thrown this tiny amount of credibility in Trump's direction for the wiretap claim. He's come out and said that there's this report that he's seen from someone that incidental collection uh, on the now president might have happened, but it was legal. We don't need to worry about it anymore. Uh, he doesn't seem to have shown anyone this report, including the Democratic ranking member on the committee, on the Intelligence Committee with him, Adam Schiff, who said that he hasn't seen it. Um, he supposedly briefed Paul Ryan and Trump uh, on this report, but they haven't indicated all that they've seen it. Um, Trump made this kind of half-hearted comment that he was partially vindicated based on what Nunez has been saying. So the question becomes, what, like, what the fuck is this shit? If Nunez has the report or some evidence to support Trump's wiretap claim, don't hold a press conference or make vague statements about it and then rush off to the White House to brief the president who's the one who's under investigation. You're supposed to share it with your colleagues in the Intelligence Committee you sack of partisan shit. He's the head of the committee investigating the potential ties between Trump and Russia. And he was, A, on the Trump transition team. B, keeps making all these public statements and not engaging with his Democratic colleagues who sit in the intelligence committee with him. And C, he's made these kind of statements consistently throughout the entire process that there's nothing to see here. He was the one who didn't even want an investigation when Mike Flynn got dismissed and said that Flynn should be thanked for the favor he attempted to do for the country. So (sighs) FBI director James Comey, he's come out, he's revealed for the first time publicly what many people have suspected. And that is that there's officially an active FBI investigation looking into the ties uh, between the Trump campaign team and in the Russian government um, and actually that it's been going on since last July which is something that not a lot of people have paid attention to that bit of the statement that he came out with uh, but it's kind of interesting because now it means we definitely know when he was leading his rallies and all these chants of locker up locker up that um, <laughs> there was one presidential candidate who was under investigation by the FBI for sure we know that and uh, it was Trump 
It was Trump and his team. Um, but uh, what's important to note, and I've kind of been paying a little bit of attention to what Glenn Greenwald and his colleagues at The Intercept have been saying about this, is that um, in some respects, some people in the media, uh, I get guilty of getting carried away too, got to cool our boots a little bit. I'm not in the media, by the way. I'm not painting myself with their brush. I'm just some shithead in New Zealand with a microphone. Um, but it's important to note that there has been no hard evidence presented to the public yet but it's also important to note that there is essentially enough smoke here to now bring down an airplane we've got michael flynn having to step down after lying about his communications with the russian ambassador we've got paul manafort the former trump campaign manager who it's just come out was literally paid millions of dollars to come up with strategies to further russia's international interests um, that news story, by the way, that just got discovered by the AP through some leaked documents, and it appears that Manafort may have been um, hiding uh, some of his money offshore, which could be subject to investigation now. We've got Roger Stone, who served as an advisor to Trump during his campaign, who seemingly had direct contact with Guccifer 2.0, which is the entity, it could be a person, it could be people um, who leaked John Podesta's emails when they got hacked uh, from the DNC. We've got Jeff Sessions who was part of the transition team as well, uh, Attorney General, now Attorney General, who lied under oath because he talked to the same Russian ambassador that Flynn got in trouble talking to. We've got Carter Page, who's this weird figure attached to the Trump campaign who works in the oil industry, who's got extensive networks in Russia and has been living in and out of Russia since 1991. The Carter Page connection is kind of weird as well because he's essentially like an oil executive and oil analyst. And he was involved in the Trump campaign super duper early on. And he's kind of a weird pick um, when you're trying to assemble in earnest a political team if you're exploring a presidential run or, or really making a run for the White House in earnest. He was a really a pick out of left field that no one could quite, from what I read, get their head around how he got selected. Um, but it you know, really seems to be taking shape now. The whole thing is a shit sandwich, everybody. It's it's a total shit sandwich. And most definitely, this Russia thing is going to be the thing that gets Trump impeached. If, if that is on the cards, this will be the thing that takes him down. Personally, just the sense that I get is that Trump doesn't know much about what all this Russia shit is about. Because I think that everyone knows he can't be trusted with the information. Because he says shit randomly all the time. I mean, Trump did manage to sell his house to a Russian oligarch for literally $50 million more than he paid for it after sitting on it for four years. Um, he bought this place in 2004. Oh, I can't remember the figure. I think it was uh, just north of $40 million. And then managed to flick it off to um, this guy who happened to be a very rich uh, Russian dude who's connected with Putin four years later for an additional $50 million. Um but I, even that, to me, it feels like that's the deal where the Russians go, jump on this carriage, don't ask any questions, we'll take care of it from here. The Russian thing feels very real to me. I don't think it's conspiracy. Um, I mean, we've got, like, two active government investigations happening in the States looking into the tyres now, but we do need to see evidence at this point, you know? That is something that the public needs to see. And um, I guess we shouldn't, you know... It seems pretty obvious, but you've got to be just about these things and you've got to be fair. Um, in other news, it looks like Trump's pick uh, for the Supreme Court, Neil Gorsuch, is going to get confirmed. Um, 
judging by his confirmation hearings that are happening at the moment, where Ted Cruz, I've got to say, truly looked like he was going to French kiss the guy. Um, these hearings, though, oh, we. I mean, Gorsuch is doing well um, in their long hearings. So, like, you have you know, it's impressive when someone can, can keep up that kind of stamina. But Jesus Christ, this dude is laying it on thick. If you take a look at any portion of the proceedings, um, and there's, like, hours and hours long long videos of him being questioned you'll see that he's this figure he's this like good looking clean cut fit white guy who's just the most smarmy earnest captain america character i've ever seen um i'm probably just being cranky because it's quite late uh at night here in new zealand at the moment but it seems like no one is ultimately sure of this guy's politics deep down. He's he's definitely conservative leaning. Of course, that's why um, he's he's been picked by Trump and his team. But he doesn't seem to be an activist, sort of a judge. And um, he did seem to score some kind of uh, normal points, I guess, when he was questioned about Roe v. Wade and asked if he would... Um, uh, it might have been Al Franken I can't remember who put it to him but basically the hypothetical situation that if Trump asked him to try and overturn Roe v Wade he said I would walk out of the door I would turn around I would leave the room Um, which you know ostensibly is a good answer but just fucking cool down a little bit bro honestly it's it is hard to watch he's going to get confirmed which um, kind of in some ways sucks because uh, that's happening because the Democrats haven't been able to rally around and make a strong enough point out of the fact that the Republicans stole a Supreme Court vacancy. But ultimately, we could probably be doing worse than this guy. Um, that'll do it for this section. We'll be back in just a moment with some more politics for you. At this moment, we are still in a phase characterized by major military operations. The expansion of ISIS has necessitated a large-scale military response, and our offensive measures are reclaiming areas in Iraq and Syria in which ISIS has had a large and destructive footprint. And now let's talk about Rex Tillerson, our Secretary of State and the person in the administration who most closely resembles Commandant Lassard from Police Academy. Now, the easy joke you can make about Rex Tillerson is the fact that he was awarded a huge medal by uh, Russia and has a bunch of ties there and is trying to blow off a NATO conference in order to also meet with Russia and take a nap, I guess. Uh, and you, you can go ahead and feed that into the whole Russia and, and the Trump campaign and Trump cabinet narrative if you want. But there's not really any need to focus on that, especially. I mean, if there is going to be this Russia thing, we'll get to Tillerson soon enough. Some of these guys are going to start to roll and and... You know, we'll figure out whatever the fuck Rex is doing. Uh, for now, I mean, let's just talk about the fact that, you know, this guy has basically got the aptitude of a Teddy Ruxpin. Uh, he does not talk to the press at all. He did not carry a press pool with him on a Far East trip, uh, during which he became fatigued after doing his job for what would seem to be the normal duration of doing his job. Um, but in addition to not carrying a press pool, he carried with him the uh, the, the Independent Journal Review, which is not independent and is basically kind of a right-wing meme factory at this point. Uh, and the guy who was in charge of it uh, until recently, Benny Johnson, has been indefinitely suspended because I guess I guess when you, you hire a guy who plagiarized 40 different people and then give him power and he clearly has no sense of ethics, stupid shit is going to happen. Uh, anyway... 
you know, you, you've got this friendly outlet that is already and it has already made clear within about a month, uh, the last month or so, that it is willing to be another uh, organ of the state uh, going to cover Tillerson. You've got a case of not knowing what America's uh, attitudes are around the globe. Uh, if we had a president who had a very clear sense of what America is going to do beyond bomb them and take their oil and stop ISIS and negotiate with China, uh you know, if you had somebody who actually had a more programmatical vision, this probably wouldn't be as big of a deal. But Rex Tillerson is presiding over a gutted State Department that doesn't know what it's doing because Rex Tillerson and the president are not telling them. Uh, and he's going off uh, to trips that have global significance in, in terms of actual conflict, not just sort of you know, little economic fusses. Uh, and there isn't a press there to keep an eye on him. And that gets a little bit more scary when... Uh, you look at uh, this interview he recently gave to IJR, and this is this is a softball fucking interview, right? This like nothing was supposed to come out of this interview that fucked up Rex Tillerson, uh, and yet, <laughs> okay, you might have seen the money quote from this. Uh, this is the writer writing, uh, you know, sort of asking the question and not in quotes. So why then did he want the gig? I didn't want this job. I didn't seek this job. He paused to let that sink in. A beat or two passed before an aide piped up to ask him why he said yes. My wife told me I'm supposed to do this. So that that's Rex Tillerson's motivation for being there. And it, it, look, in fairness to the man, this just might be more of the tradition of the reluctant private citizen called into service like Cincinnatus and beating his plowshares back into swords, you know. Uh, he may be just stupidly because again, I'm convinced this man is an idiot overplaying the humility hand to the point where he seems like an, an inert shithead who basically just got thrown into the job because he said, yes, dear, and is woefully unqualified. And, you know, based on that excerpt, that might be a very unfair statement. Uh, but uh, you go on to more of the the, the profile. Um, basically, Tillerson outlines uh, the Trump administration's plans for defeating ISIS as a three-step process, beginning with a military campaign, followed by a transition phase, and ending with a stability program, which, um, I mean, it's vague to the point of uselessness. I mean, this is, you could describe the second Gulf War that way, and we know how... Uh, solvent every every nation and and group came out of that um you know you take away military cam campaign and you get the other two processes are a transition phase and a ending with a stability program so if you just replace military campaign with birth you have described the process of becoming an adult i mean it just doesn't help you in any way and if this is the 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 program that he's supposed to be selling to our european allies and people who might be helping us in a logistical sense or be willing to have our back because we have deployed our troops in such a way that we may not have as many in other areas that we would consider within our national interests. The fact that we're not telling them anything that makes a f just a fucking lick of sense is not very good. Uh, and then you get to how he articulates what that program is going to be. And he basically is coming at this with a CEO's bottom line idea. He says, first, we need to gut the State Department budget because you know, this is the budget we have now and look what we're accomplishing. And this seems to be almost this sort of creative destruction idea of if we just underfund the State Department, it will come up with solutions that will finally, you know, do away with our our, our global 
antagonisms. Uh, the problem is, if you're going to go and conquer ISIS, you're going to be creating a whole bunch of destabilized areas with multiple uh, ethnic allegiances and religious allegiances and former drawn borders. And all of those groups are going to need to be able to talk to each other in an effective way. And if you're gutting the State Department budget right when you're trying to reshape a significant chunk of the fucking earth, you're basically setting out to fail to do that job. Because it's not like the State Department now was teeming with a bunch of like, you know, Coptic Christians and Druze and, uh, uh, you know, you know, every ethnic group from Syria and, you know, some, some uh, you know, a group of Kurds in the background. I mean, one of the things that we learned from the Iraq war was that we really did not have great human resources in terms of managing this stuff. Uh, you know, in Washington. And while I'm sure steps have been taken to to mitigate that, it's probably not going to be commensurate with the steps that needed would have needed to be taken if you're going to reshape that much earth. So Tillerson basically, you know, it, it, you can make fun of him for being this, you know, fucking Teddy Ruxpin doll and Commandant Lassard, whatever. And that's just sort of a, a means of, of self-preservation from pain because the other option is, uh, Captain Napsalot, who wants to duck NATO, hang out with Russia, and otherwise seems to be conducting really just sort of like a CEO tour of the world, may be the only mouthpiece that the Trump administration has on this on a regular basis to any country other than our own. And while Steve Bannon does a really good job of speaking for President Trump, uh, you know, everyone else in the world kind of needs to hear something that makes sense. And the president isn't going to provide it. Um, that duty falls to this guy and he took this job because his wife told him and before he had ever met Donald Trump. Last on Fox News on March 14th, Judge Andrew Napolitano made the following statement, quote, three intelligence sources have informed Fox News that President Obama went outside the chain of command. He didn't use the NSA. He didn't use the CIA. He didn't use the FBI and he didn't use the Department of Justice. He used GCHQ. What is that? It's the initials for the British Intelligence Spying Agency. You're back on politics, you got Tim in New Zealand, and a lot of people ask on Twitter, who listen to this podcast, um, if I could chuck a little bit of New Zealand politics in, and this week, it, kind of a big thing has happened that I'd love to tell you guys about. Um, an investigative reporter named uh, Nicky Hager has revealed, well, he revealed a couple of weeks ago that he was going to launch a book, and no one knew the content or even the title of the book until it was launched a couple of days ago. Uh, a little bit of background on um, on Hager. I'm probably saying his name wrong as well. I think everyone says his name wrong. Hager. It's Nicky Hager. I'm 99% sure on that. He's managed to piss off like every government that has been around since I've been alive in New Zealand with his reporting and with his books. He pissed off the centre-left Clark government by exposing the story about genetically modified corn crops in the early 2000s. He pissed off the centre-right uh, Don Brash-led national government in the mid-2000s by revealing their connection during the campaign season to the exclusive Brethren Church who were helping them out, and it was a big cover-up. Um, he really pissed off our most recent PM, John Key, a few years ago by exposing uh, his close relationship with this crazy blogger called Whale Oil and how he was being used to sort of disseminate... Um, propaganda political information and now he's um he's brought up some super effed up allegations about our sas troops who served in afghanistan 
uh, with this new book that he's released called Hit and Run, which he co-authored with a war reporter called um, John Stevenson. And he claims that after um, a New Zealand soldier was killed, the SAS, um, that's our secret service, they're like our sort of elite, uh, they're our version of the SEALs, I guess. Um, The SAS, they kind of started acting a bit mental and didn't quite um, act in the normal uh, fashion that we uphold them to, which is a very high standard. And the allegations are that the PM of the day, John Key, uh, okayed this operation, which ended up killing five civilians in Afghanistan, including a three-year-old girl and injuring 15 other civilians. Um, The operation appears to be, it got totally whitewashed after that huge cover-up since then since it happened and Hager and Stevenson actually um, I think at least one of them maybe both of them went to Afghanistan to investigate this on the ground with the locals there um, and have talked to the governors of areas and stuff to get confirmation of these deaths and in the book um, they actually go into the lives of these people who were killed and injured uh, in this this operation and uh, what I was hearing during the press conference when the book was released is that um, what had happened is the New Zealand soldier was killed. The SAS thought that they had good information about where the group that killed the New Zealand soldier was going to be at a particular time. They went in to conduct the operation to kill those people. That's when the civilians got killed. And the reason how they know they got the wrong people afterwards is apparently there was a video taken at the um, funeral service for the civilians who were killed the day or two days afterwards. Someone took a a video, uh, I I think, just on their mobile phone, and the the, uh, insurgents or the the um, counter-soldiers whatever you want to call them, the people in Afghanistan who killed the New Zealand soldier, they were there in the video footage at the funeral service. So there was visual confirmation on this video that these guys had survived the attack, that the targets were completely unscathed from this operation that the SAS conducted. Um, that video hasn't surfaced anywhere. Nikki Hager uh, doesn't lay any claim to having it. Um, he's He's just referenced it as being... Uh, evidence that the SAS knew at the time that they basically their operation was a complete failure and not only that but it actually led to civilian uh, casualties and fatalities and the thing has been covered up ever since I haven't read the book yet but I will when I can get a copy and um, based on how our former defense minister Wayne Mapp reacted when a reporter managed to just randomly run into him in the street and ask him about this it seems like it's probably accurate which is like super full-on for New Zealand we're not used to this sort of stuff Uh, I heard someone on Radio New Zealand who's actually um, an old mate of mine from years ago who used to work at The Hague as a lawyer um, saying that these allegations could quite easily be brought to the International Criminal Court for war crimes. So it's kind of crazy timing with John Key only just having stepped down after nine years of leading the country uh, because he's a guy who became pretty well known for um, being political Teflon. And this is an awful thing that seemed to have happened on his watch and potentially by his say-so and his command, his okay on this operation. And he'll probably never have to suffer through any of the fallout from that whatsoever. Um, But it just, you know, it goes to show that even in these far-flung paradise parts of the world like New Zealand, every now and then some real messed up shit does happen for us as well. So it'll be interesting to see how um, 
how that story develops over time as well. Again, this this comes back to the president's business person view of government, which is if you took over this as a CEO and you look at this on a spreadsheet and go, why do we have all of these facilities? Why do we have seven when we can do the same job with three? Won't that save money? And the answer is yes. And let's end today on a grab bag of embarrassment. There, I, I just let that pause in there so that all of you could shout, that's what he said at, you know, while wearing your earbuds or in your car, hopefully shouting in your car. Cause if you're in the gym, uh, I mean, there's a couple of rooms in the gym where that's just going to be weird. So, you know, I hope you, uh, I hope you kept it under control. So, uh, the grab bag of embarrassment for the last week, we had, uh, Donald Trump's experience with Angela Merkel, uh, in the white house where she asked if he wanted to try a handshake and he blew her off. He didn't even look at her. Um, I think, uh, maybe the, uh, uh, Last week tonight with John Oliver likened it to not talking to a drunk on a subway, which actually from a body language standpoint, that's, that seems really, really apt. Uh, but this seems to be of a piece with Trump's habit of pointing out to somebody that he does not forget that they did not endorse him. Uh, and he does have this nasty habit of what I would call uh, you know cheap business school psychology. Like you read The Art of War and when you're going to do a photo op with somebody to put him off his game, you're going to squeeze his hand too hard. And you can see Trump doing that where he yanks people on the dais and somebody who's taller than he is, he makes him stoop down a little or he changes his body position so that the other person has to be uncomfortable next to him while he sort of stands there serenely. So I think it probably was a little bit of that. I'm not going to let Angela Merkel forget that she didn't support me. And that that means that for the rest of our relationship, I can represent the United States by pretending that she's not there. And then later, of course, he continued uh, uh, his assertions that the Obama administration had wiretapped him by making a joke with Merkel about how they shared something in common that uh, they had both been wiretapped by the uh, the Obama administration. And uh, Merkel's real like expression throughout all of this. Uh, and, you know, this woman is a professional by now, but uh, the, you know, she really, through the entire duration, seemed like somebody trapped in an elevator with a serial farter. Uh, I really, I, f- I feel very bad for the woman. Speaking of presentation, a former member of the House who is now the director of the Office of Management and Budget, Mick Mulvaney, made a presentation in the last week. You may have heard of it, uh, a little bit infamous, uh, in which he justified uh, Savage Cuts to Meals on Wheels, which, if you don't know, is a service that brings hot food to uh, senior citizens who can't prepare food for themselves and also to people who have uh, disabilities who you know can't do the same. And, and in many cases, the Meals on Wheels guy or gal um, or what have you, uh, whatever designation you prefer, is the only human contact that these, uh, you know, bedridden or at least homebound human beings have every day. And so it's not only a lifeline in terms of keeping them uh, physically healthy from a nutritive standpoint, it's also a lifeline to the human race. And uh, Mulvaney uh, suggested that we would reduce spending on that because it was just not showing any results, which um, this is not an original observation of mine. You know, this way of thinking is sadistic and and sociopathic on his part. Uh, it, I think, at least to my way of thinking, it evinces the the fundamental heartlessness of what 
conservatism is today. But it also does echo the fact that the Democratic Party has wholly given into trying to frame any kind of social good in terms of its uh, ultimate economic utility. That, um, you know, we need to do things that are right by the taxpayers. Well, why are we why are we not saying citizens? Well, because everybody can understand that somebody with money enough to pay tax is worth caring about. And just by reducing it to those kinds of categories, we start to uh, validate the idea that uh, certain groups can be uh, devalued and or at least considered ancillary to the process. And so when you start to quantify bringing food to people who cannot get out of bed and who've lived a good life, or even, you know, maybe they've lived a terrible life, but they're still alive and they deserve to be able to eat and they deserve to be able to see another human being. When you talk about getting rid of that service because it doesn't show results, you're basically saying that we've reached a point where both sides of the aisle understand that we need to totally commodify the human experience in America before we can even start to understand how to respond to it uh, uh, politically. You know, it's it's not this is not a program we can do because we believe it to be fundamentally right and just and a right of all people, but rather something that we can realize an investment on down the road. And I mean, that's great. That's fine. If you want to think about kids that way, or if you want to talk about infrastructural projects that may not pay off now, but when you think about what you're saving in terms of resources down the road, sure, that makes sense. But when you're talking about like is this person who does not have long for this earth, is he something I'm going to see ROI on? Well, you know, even if you have a blue tick and a D by your name, fuck you. You're part of the fucking problem. Like the fact that we're not talking about these things in absolute moral terms uh, as things that we have an obligation to as a commonwealth, um, you know, that that we've strayed from that is is really, really gross. But the, the, the other gross thing to take away from Mulvaney here was after a couple of weeks of Spicer, uh, Sean Spicer's sort of, you know, blundering numbskullery, Mulvaney comes out and he, yeah, he said that, you know, that, that deeply unpleasant and heartless thing. But otherwise, the man spoke quickly and articulately and he had an answer to almost every question posed him or he had a very, very... Uh, seamless uh, dodge into why the answer would not be forthcoming. And it was a reminder of how much more evil the Republic, uh, sorry, the Trump administration is capable of doing if they stop being so fucking incompetent. Uh, and it's a reminder of just how complicit a lot of these uh, media outlets are going to be if the Trump administration ever figures that out. Because the much like uh, Trump's reading uh, from a teleprompter in his uh, joint address to uh, to Congress, where he looked presidential because he could read. Uh, Mulvaney's performance, right? Because we are grading these people on performance and appearance. Mulvaney's performance was of such like effortless and and rapid competency that you could see the commentary sort of unfolding in real time on things like Twitter and on, uh, you know, other short microblogging stuff that, hey, this guy seems like he's together. And granted, uh, that's why he's more frightening uh, because people who aren't tripping all over their own dick get a lot more evil done. And DC journalism, 
especially TV journalism, is very, very beholden to ideas of savvy and competence. And it doesn't really need to worry. You know, it, it really doesn't worry about uh, 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 evidence backing that up. I mean, you look at Paul Ryan, who has been labeled for uh, like eight years now, a, an economic wonk. And his best budget still had a $4.5 trillion hole in it that he could never fill. And most of the other holes he filled in his budget, he did with, yeah, well, you know, these, uh, these behaviors will align and these numbers will magically appear. Uh, you know, th- there is a, a portion of the beltway that would be very comfortable sliding back to automatically praising uh, evil and unsupported and factually kind of null ideas if they went back into that customary uh, uh, packaging and that customary information delivery device. Uh, so, you know, beware the ones who seem good at this. I mean, as much as Sean Spicer is a, a, a boob, pray that he is the boob that you, you see for every day of the remainder of this administration, however blessedly short it might be. And last thing this week, just for fun, there was an editorial in the Wall Street Journal that uh, referred to Donald Trump's uh, clinging to his wiretapping story uh, of the Obama administration targeting him. I referred to that as like uh, a drunk clinging to his empty gin bottle. Uh, the uh, the editorial was was overall not favorable and came about as close as I think you're going to see the journal to uh, labeling Trump a fake presidency. But it's interesting because the editorial page of the Wall Street Journal has essentially been the id of the well-heeled version of the, the Republican Party for a very, very long time. Uh, in fact, Ted Cruz, who made his bones by offending people and jumping the line, quickly earned the enmity of the Wall Street Journal uh, uh, editorial page. And he even opens the preface of his own book by mentioning that the Wall Street Journal is the outlet uh, where you are notified that what you have done uh, displeases the uh, the Republican establishment gods. And for him, mentioning that is is a way of mentioning his bona fides uh, uh, on uh, being an outsider. Uh, it, the Trump administration is probably going to play that tune if the, uh, the Wall Street Journal goes after him again. Uh, just as a sort of corollary, corollary though, to this story, uh, it was praised by Brett Stevens, who also writes, he's a columnist for the Wall Street Journal. Uh, I don't believe he wrote the piece. It was unsigned. It, it was you know, from the editorial board. But Stevens praised it. And uh, basically, uh, and, uh, of its message of Donald Trump being a, an unserious person in this regard. And I, I just want everyone to always remember that Brett Stevens once compared Sarah Palin to Harry Truman. And this is a guy who is going to make a lot of money, or at least, you know, get some cred as the Trump administration disintegrates in various ways, calling out, calling it out for being unprepared, uh, incompetent and scornful of the rules. And at one point that was all fine and good when it was Sarah Palin smiling and winking and, and pepping stuff up for, uh, for John McCain. And that really probably is that last tipping point where we've been going up this mountain of crazy, and then finally, when the Palin thing happened, that's when he reached the peak and realized that the other side was icy and was going to start whipping us down faster and faster. So, you know, good on the Wall Street Journal, and it's fun to celebrate these things when they happen. But uh, remember, you know, you're in this dance with uh, with those what brung you, and uh, uh, the Wall Street Journal editorial page dragged the rest of America kicking and screaming into this irredeemable shit heap. So 
Thanks, guys. All right, take care. I wonder, I know you don't want to talk politics today, but whether you have a reaction to the sort of knee-jerk tweet that came out of the United States from the president's son. Well, I'm not going to respond to a tweet from Donald Trump uh, Jr. I've been doing far more important things over the last 24 uh, hours. What I do know is that the threat level in London and across the country is severe.